Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, I am Dr. Lottie Valentine, and I've been invited to share my two near-death experiences that occurred in 1992 and 1994. So the first one happened after my third child was born, and this child was born between a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake. And during that 7.4 earthquake, I my life flashed before my eyes, and I really thought that that was the moment I was going to die. Everything in the unit, in the hospital, labor ward was shaking. All the the tools on the, the steel trays were shaking and they were levitating up and down. And my labor actually stopped. And after about 30 minutes, when the earthquake started to calm down, I gave birth and we had it. And then we had a 7.2 earthquake. And as soon as they gave me the baby to hold, I started leaning backwards and just screaming for my husband, take the baby, take the baby. I was in so much pain. And there was a lot of blood clots that came out and the, the midwives and the nurses were massaging my abdomen to try and get all these clots to come out. And I was put on an IV on Pitocin drip to contract the uterus back down. And they kept me in the hospital for an extra day to make sure that the bleeding had calmed down and everything looked good and sent me on my way. Well, 10 days later, I hemorrhaged a really large blood clot. It was the size of a, of a man's large fist. And I, we went to the ER. My husband came home from work and took me to the ER. And my parents were visiting from Europe because I was born and raised in Europe. And they were taking care of my two boys that were six and three and a half and the newborn baby. And so we go to the ER and they do a manual examination and they told me nothing much was going on right now. And there was no lab work done. There was no ultrasounds, just a manual inspection. And they sent me on my way. And the next evening, the same thing happened again. And I hemorrhaged one more time. And it was pretty late at night, so I had my husband call the hospital and ask what we should do. And it was decided that I should see the doctor the next morning where we lived. And I saw the doctor the next morning and again, a manual inspection and no lab work, no ultrasound, nothing. And they sent me on my way. Well, that evening, Friday evening, I hemorrhage again. So we go back to the ER and again, they do a manual inspection and they say, 
well, not much is coming out right now. It could have been another lining. And they kept me for observation and they just closed the door to the ER. I had no bell to ring, no way to call for help. And I was just lying there by myself in the ER. And eventually I started bleeding again. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is I'm finally bleeding in the, in the right time. I'm in the ER and I'm bleeding. Now they're going to figure out something is wrong with me. So I'm just lying there and I'm not thinking much of it because I have been bleeding. This is the third day I'm bleeding. And eventually a nurse comes in to just check on me and she opens that door and she just, her jaw just drops to the floor and she's like, oh, just horrified at the sight of me lying on this table with all this blood around me. And so I hear the call on the loudspeaker, OBGYN, stat to the ER, OBGYN, stat to the ER. And all I'm thinking is, well, this is good because finally they're going to figure out something is actually wrong with me. So a middle-aged physician comes running in full speed to the ER with a younger physician in tow. And again, they examine me. And as they examine me, I hemorrhage again. And at this point, it was the fifth time I was hemorrhaging in three days. So I try to sit up to tell the doctor that I am not feeling too good. And this doctor obviously had been around the block a couple of times, so he knew what was what was happening to me. And so he just pushed me back down onto the table and they started tipping the table backwards and my head was going towards the floor and my feet were going up towards the ceiling. And I had the whole room filled with hospital staff and my eyes are at this point are just closed and I have a nurse on my left trying to place an IV, but my veins are collapsing because I'm now you know, going into shock. And which is why they place an IV typically when you go to the ER, because if something happens, they can't get that IV in very easily. So she's trying to get the IV into my arm and the nurse on my right is quoting my blood pressure. But I'm lying on this table and for me, it just feels like I jumped out of an airplane and the parachute has not yet opened up and I'm just falling through space and just falling free fall towards the ground. And as this is going on, the nurse on my right is quoting my blood pressure. And she says, she yells out 50 over 15, hurry. And the nurse and I'm thinking, what's taking her so long? Why can't she get that IV in? And it's shortly after that, that I realize that I'm dying. So I am completely aware that I am dying, which is very different from when I was giving birth and in that earthquake, when I had life flash before my eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, this is, the, this is it, I'm gonna die. This was a knowing, I knew that I was dying. And it was shortly after this moment that I was felt like I was starting to pull, get pulled out of my body. And I was a complete atheist at the time. I was very scientific and my worldview was very materialistic. I had no beliefs in the afterlife. I had no beliefs in angels, in soul survival, nothing. And so here I am on the table and I'm pleading, I'm pleading with God, just please let me live. I have three children under the age of six. They need a mother. And it was shortly after that, that I got pulled out of my body. And I just find myself hovering about three or four feet above my body. And 
as I'm outside my body, my first thought is, how can I be outside my body and still be me? How does this work? Because I had no belief in soul survival or that that could even happen. But there's also a knowing that I belong to the body down there, just like you know you live in in your house or your apartment or you know which car is yours that belongs to you. You step inside. I had just stepped outside my body. But there was also a knowing that there was no time uh, in this state and that I had access to past, present and future all at the same time because time wasn't relevant in this state. Time was just something that I experienced on the earth plane. And there's also this peace and unconditional love, just, just very peaceful. There wasn't a panic at all. The panic was right before I left my body, but once I was outside, it was just, I was just in amazement. How can I, how can I be me and be outside my body? And it was shortly after this, that I got pulled back into my body and it goes so fast is in a split second you're inside your body and then a split second later you are outside your body and it's it is so quick or so fast that it's hard for my brain to even comprehend how quickly that transition takes place and then as I'm back in my body and then of course they keep me in the hospital and I'm lying in that hospital bed the next morning my head is just pounding because I've lost so much blood. And I become aware of my sister-in-law in in the left corner of the ceiling. And my sister-in-law had passed away 10 days earlier from lung cancer and she was only in her forties. And I can hear my sister-in-law and she says, you're going to be okay. And I am trying to put everything into context. The day before I left my body and I was still me outside my body. And now I can hear my sister-in-law speaking to me who is in the spirit world. So this, this is how it all began. So I started opening up and I could hear the spirit world, which then led to me becoming clairvoyant and also see images. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So then I became really sick and it took me about, I slept for about three months and my mother and father kept changing their tickets back to Europe because they had to take care of my three kids and take care of me now. And for three months, I don't have many memories because I was told I just slept most of the time. And about three months later, my mother-in-law came and she stayed for a while to help with the kids. And it took me a good six months before I could even leave the house or take my three children to the grocery store. It, my This happened at the end of June in 1992, and it was December by the time I made it to the grocery store to buy a gallon of milk and ice cream for my kids. And that was absolutely exhausting. And then I get really sick and I found out that I had the, did a blood test and they came back into the room and they said, do you have AIDS or leukemia? You don't have an immune system. And so I got really sick and I had something called bone marrow suppression. So I had a suppression of my white blood cells, my red blood cells and my platelets. And I was getting bruises very easily on my body and I had a big bruise that spanned my entire hip area that was red and purple. And that was just from bumping into the baby's changing table, something that would give you a bruise the size of a nickel or a dime. So that became a big struggle. And I had this 
feeling that my soul was constantly trying to leave. And I don't know if it was because I was so sick that whole time or if it was a soul merging problem that the soul just didn't go back into its right slot in my body. But there was always this struggle of, I was always feeling like my soul was leaving and I would always kind of pull it in and say, you can't leave, we have to stay, we have to stay. And it was, I got, it was really sick during this time. And I had a stool in the kitchen because I couldn't stand up long enough to cook for my children. So I sat down on a stool to cook lunch and dinner for my kids. And if I put my knee on the floor to help tie their shoes, I would get a bruise on my knee just from resting my knee on the floor. So as I'm going through this struggle to heal from this bone marrow suppression, two years later, I have another near-death experience. And this experience is very different from the first one. And I would often wake up in the middle of the night and my head would be pounding and I would take my head off the pillow, pull my legs up and try to get more blood into my head. And always this feeling of my soul trying to pull out of my body and, and leaving. And I always joke, I didn't get the full effect of the first near-death experience, so we had to do it again so I could get the rest of the of the messages. So one once in the middle of the night, so this is about two years later, I wake up and again, my soul feels like it's leaving. I take my head off the pillow and I just get pulled out in a split second, just like I, what happened in the ER. But this is very different. So now I find myself tumbling through darkness there was no tunnel. People talk about the tunnel. For me, it was just sort of tumbling through outer space. That's what it felt like. But then I arrived to what I call the mid station because it was as if you go into an elevator of a skyscraper and there are a hundred floors, but you push the button for the 50th floor and you get off at floor 50. And you know there are levels below you in the skyscraper and you know that there are levels above you. So that was the feeling when I arrived to this place that there were levels above me and levels below me. But when I get to this place without my body, I'm just in spirit form. I hear the most beautiful music you can ever imagine. More beautiful than any music that you can make on the earth plane. And as I'm trying to figure out where is this music coming from, I turn my 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 spirit towards the right and i turn my spirit towards the right and i see a log cabin very small log cabin almost the size of a sauna and i open the door and i look inside but it's empty so then i turn towards the left and i see the exact same image that i saw on the right another log cabin just a mirror image of it and I open the door and I look inside, but it's empty. So I'm wondering where this beautiful music is coming from. And as I'm standing there between these two log cabins, I become aware of this growing white light, almost like a fog of bright light is rolling in behind you. And as I turn my spirit body around, I become completely enveloped in this beautiful magnificent white light that is just extending out into infinity but this pure white light is a knowing that i am with divine source or god or whatever you want to call that but that is what we come from that light is just pure 
unconditional love. And that light, we carry that light inside of us. We, we are part of this light. And we return to this light when we go to the other side, when we leave the physical world. But in this bright, magnificent white light, there is an outline of angels. And the music is coming from the angels. And it's almost like an angelic choir is the closest description I have of this. And I'm thinking as I'm staring at these, at, you know, knowing that I'm with divine source, knowing that the music is coming from these angels. Why am I seeing angels? I don't believe in angels. Why do I think I'm with divine source or God? I don't believe in God. And so it's fascinating that I had this experience, but it wasn't my belief system. But then I become aware of two spirit guides and the one on the right is telepathically communicating with the one diagonally to the left in front of me and he says what is she doing here she can't be here she has to go back and i say no 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 wait a second how can i still be me and be outside of my body how does this work and the spirit guide on my left says if i told you you wouldn't remember but you will remember this and then it is like images just sort of appear and it is as if I'm standing on the moon and I'm looking down onto the earth from outer space. But around the earth, there is a lot, what I called a silvery glittery fishnet because I grew up in Northern Europe and I rode that little boat for my grandmother as she laid fishnets in the ocean to catch fish for the family to eat. And when she lifted those nets out of the ocean in the early morning sun, the water droplets would sort of shimmer and glitter in the sunlight. And so to me, this is 1994, we did not have Google and the internet then, and we didn't had, had never seen an image of the grid around the earth. So to me, that looked like a silvery, glittery fishnet. And the spirit guide said, everything on earth is connected to each other but everything on earth is connected up to this grid. And with that information, I got sent back to earth. But that information has stayed with me com combined with my first near-death experience. And that clairvoyance and clairaudience and clairsentience just kept developing more and more and more after these experiences. And after 12 years of having all these clairvoyant and clairaudient experiences, I got a message from the spirit world and I knew that the spirit world had dropped in on me and I had decided that I should go back to work. It had been 12 years, my kids were teenagers now, and I was looking for a degree online and I found a medical school for naturopathic medicine that combines herbal medicine and Chinese medicine with pharmaceutical and Western medicine. And I realized it was a medical school and I said, there is no way I can't go to medical school. I'm in my forties. I can't do this. And I closed the computer. I started walking towards the kitchen and the spirit world dropped in on me and said, you have to become a doctor. You are to combine East and West. You're to bring messages and healing to the people. And you have to write two books, no wait three and i was enrolled in my prereq classes literally within a week or two 
And I went to medical school after completing all of that. And I had to start from the beginning with high school biology because I was a computer science and business major as an undergraduate and went to medical school when I was 54 and graduated in 2016. But these experiences that to trust those messages happened because for 12 years, I kept getting information about people being sick in the family or people were going to pass away. This would stop in and say they had passed on and then I didn't, I wasn't even aware and one example would be my, my uncle passed away and that was between my first and my second near-death experience and he came to say that he had passed on to the other side and I expected my mother to call me from Sweden where I grew up in northern Europe to let me know that her brother had passed away but she didn't call me the next day and I waited and I figured well maybe I'm wrong maybe it, maybe it didn't happen maybe I got the wrong message waited the next day no call from my mom and then finally on the third day, my mom calls and she said, I have something sad to share with you. And I said, yes, I know your brother passed away, you know, two, two or three days ago. And she said, how did you know? And I said, he was here. And so that whole development began right away after my first near death experience. And then I would see things before they happened. So one morning I woke up, I think my kids were around 10, 12 and 14 or 15 and I had a little slideshow or images, which is typically what happens. And on the first image, I could see a black scratch across the van door. And on the second image, I saw my two kids in the car, my boy in the front seat, my daughter in the back seat. And on the third slide, I saw myself leaving a note on the windshield of a black sedan car. And I told my kids because they were aware of, you know, me seeing things and hearing things before they happened. And so I told him the story and I said, this is what happened. This is what I saw. And we figured out which intersection we could possibly get hit on the right hand side. And every day when we got to that intersection, I was driving my kids to school. They would look at the window and they would say, mom, the coast is clear. You can go. And about 10 days or two weeks later, we come out of our bookstore in Walnut Creek, which is East Bay of San Francisco. And as I'm trying to leave that parking lot, there is a big UPS truck offloading boxes. There's cars trying to get into the parking lot. And I'm trying to squeeze my big van out on this little narrow street. And as I make a right turn onto the street, the right hand side of my car scrapes the black sedan car that is parked there. So I get out of my car and I just start laughing when I see the scratch because it was exactly the way I had seen it. And of course, I end up leaving a note on the windshield of the black sedan car. So those are a couple of stories. And now what has happened since then is I've written one book and that is to teach people how to uh, develop their own clairvoyant and clairaudient abilities because we are all clairvoyant, we're all clairaudient. We can all see and hear the spirit world if we just learn how to connect. And this, this book is, also trying to teach you how to live so it's it has all my near-death experiences in it but it also teaches you how to connect with yourself so that you can open up and fulfill your own goals in this life and find a path to to doing what you incarnated to do in this life so now i work as a physician but i also work as a medical intuitive and i work as a psychic medium and to help other people find a path to healing their own life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So that message 
that I got from the spirit guides when they said you are to write two books. No, wait, three. And I said, what do you mean? I'm said to write a book. I never thought of myself as an author. And they just kept telling me when the time is right, we will let you know. So I started studying, doing all my prereqs for med school and went to med school. And then as I graduated, I went to England to Arthur Finley College to study mediumship. And I was again guided to, to go there. I met with somebody who said, I have your mother with me and she would like to give you a message. And I was told I had to go to Arthur Finley College. And this woman had didn't know me at all. We had just met at a conference. So I went to Arthur Finley College in England and I had a reading with one of my teachers. Of course, now she lives in England and I live in the United States. She doesn't know anything about me. And she said, I have your mother with me. And she's telling me that you are writing a book. And I had just started writing a book. I had an outline. I knew what I was going to talk about in the different chapters, but nobody else knew about this book. And she said, your mother is telling me you are to write two books. No, wait, three. And I have gotten that message four times from four different mediums, that exact same message that I received in 2004 from the spirit world. So I've written one book and the second one is brewing in my head. So that, that one is probably going to come soon. And those messages that we get from the spirit world, everybody gets messages, but we're not that good at listening to them. So if you are getting messages, don't think that it's just a deja vu, write them down or tell somebody so that you can then later go back and get verification that you did have, you were getting information about the future. So a couple of other examples of how this can show up is, uh, I was living up in Northern Arizona after I graduated in, up in Prescott, which is about two hours north of Phoenix. And I was heading down to Phoenix and I grabbed my purse off the counter and my car case. And at this point now, this is about 2017. So I have already been to Arthur Finley College. I'm already studying mediumship. I've been connecting with the spirit world for over 20 years already. And I get the message that I see a red truck and I get the message. I hear uh, it's sort of the thoughts get put in your head. It's not like you're hearing with your ears. And I hear the spirit world say, watch out for the red truck. And then I see a red truck swerving into the left lane and then back into the right lane. So I just look up at the sky and I say, thank you, spirit world. Thank you for the message. And I get in the car and I know it's on the big freeway. So it takes me about 45 minutes to get to the big freeway because I could see the mountains in the background. So I knew it was that freeway. And as I'm driving, there is a lot of trucks going between Flagstaff, which is up in northern Arizona and Phoenix and Tucson. And I pass truck after truck after truck, you know, the red truck, no red trucks, white trucks, black trucks. And I'm keeping my eye out for that red truck. Well, eventually I come up on a red truck and I know the warning message that I got. So I am behind the truck and I'm avoiding to go next to the truck. There is a car that's already passing the truck, but I stay behind the truck instead of just following the other car. And there was a guardrail on my left. So if he had swerved, I wouldn't have had anywhere to go. So I wait for that car to pass all the way. 
And as the car is in front of the truck now, I'm still behind the truck and I'm waiting for that car to give me enough space that I can really zoom by that truck quickly and the guardrail to end. And as I'm sitting behind this truck, that red truck swerves completely all the way out in the left lane and then back into the right lane. At that point, I just, you know, again, look up at you know, the ceiling on my car at this point and just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, spirit world, for keeping me safe. And so this is just another example of always listen to the messages that you receive. Another example is also a warning about an accident. I'm in Phoenix and I'm heading back up to the mountains. And as I'm washing my hands, I'm about ready to head out the door. I get the warning message, watch out for the accident watch out for the accident. What accident? It's like six o'clock in the morning. There's not many cars out. I get on the freeway and there's several lanes. I'm in the, in the lane that's not all the way on the left, but the second one to the left. And I have a car that's passing me on the right hand side on the freeway. And for some reason, that car grabbed my attention and I'm looking at the car as he's passing me and he's now directly diagonally to the right in front of me. And as soon as he has passed me, he loses his left rear tire. So his left rear tire, we're going about, you know, 65 miles an hour or so on the freeway. He loses his left rear tire and it takes off and it crosses the lanes. I slam on my brakes, trying to not lock them, but brake as hard as I can without starting to, to slide on the freeway and that tire comes and it passes through the lanes and it misses my car by I swear an inch and it hits the left wall on the freeway and it you know falls over and again it was a split second that that tire could have hit my car and I could have spun out myself on the freeway so again listen to all your messages that you receive oh.